Good afternoon. <laughs> well, it's great to be here in Abilene. I've tried to say hi to just about everybody I could, but I know I've missed a ton, so don't leave quick tonight. I want to get to say hi to you. Uh, if in case you're visiting and didn't know who I was, <laughs> I'll uh, introduce myself. My name's Rusty Brown, and I'm uh, the missionary that this church has so graciously sent to Ecuador, and uh, here on a visit, thanking you guys for the support that you give and the opportunity, the privilege to be able to serve uh, the Lord's kingdom down in Cuenca, Ecuador. And uh, tonight, I have a, a special message I want to share with you guys. Uh, I have a, I, I like to pray just one more time, if you'll bear with me, uh, asking the Lord's blessing upon the lesson, a blessing upon our time, most of all, opening our hearts and minds to receive his word. So if you'll join me for just a second, and then we'll launch off with a lesson. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for this opportunity, Lord, not just to be here tonight, but Lord, to be blessed to be part of your kingdom, to have been taken into account, Father, to have your son's blood wash us and unite us. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word that you've blessed us with, that has guided us to know you. And Father, I pray that tonight you help me to share it uh, well, Father, but I pray most of all that you open our hearts and minds, Lord, to receive your word as you have given it to us, Father, that it might direct our hearts and minds and, and our steps and every day, Father. All this we pray and give thanks in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as I mentioned, I am the missionary from Ecuador, and we had a quite a bit of a journey, journey getting here, and we've had quite an interesting past couple years and an interesting few weeks prior to coming. For those who uh, might not have been up on all the news in Ecuador, we were a little nervous about our travel situation because we had a nationwide protests that shut us down, and we had our, our city under siege, where we weren't getting gasoline, we weren't getting natural gas, couldn't get eggs. We were just running short on just about everything. And normally, and we say normally because this in the past has been a normal thing for Ecuador, although they went several years with some peace, we had only one previous experience personally. But many times it takes, you know, three, four days, they get the attention of, of the president or somebody, and they get what they want. Well, this one extended and extended, and we were starting to get worried because conversations had ceased, and we were, we were thinking, well, maybe we don't make it here, but then thankfully, you know, an agreement was made, and just that quick, things started coming into town, and things started getting a little bit back to normal. We were able to have a potluck dinner with the church, and everyone enjoyed each other's fellowship for hours on end, and it was beautiful, and then we hopped on a plane to come here, <laughs> and you know, we, we, uh, in, in our travels, as some of you might have noticed, travel has gotten a little more complicated, a little more delayed, a little more expensive, and so we added some buffer time here and there to make sure that we weren't missing flights and connections, but we flew into Miami, went to Orlando, enjoyed a bit of Orlando, and then flew here to Dallas. But as we got to the airport in, in Orlando, there was this insane TSA line. And I know you might think, well, TSA lines are always insane, but this one was just wrapping all around the building, and I didn't know what was going on. I still don't know what was happening at the moment, but this line was terribly long, and everyone's getting nervous. Everyone's, you know, chewing their nails off and, and making phone calls, many of them profane phone calls, to <laughs> express their sentiments about the current situation. And as we're waiting in line, you know, I'm, I'm thinking, okay, well, All's, all's good. We're, we're, we're in God's hands. And thankfully, I have a wife who's 
nervous about being late all the time, so we were there very early to the airport. We had nothing to worry about. We're just calm and easy, and I'm keeping it positive, you know, because I'm a Christian. I look at things in the positive end. And so as, as everyone else is nervous and the kids are complaining about the long lines, the thought comes to my head. I'm like, well, this is Orlando. We know how long lines go. The longer the line, the better the thing at the end, right? So that means our plane ride will be faster, have a few flips, and end with a splashy finish. <laughs> and, uh, so uh, to me, that sounded positive. But <laughs> uh, anyway, the, the idea, oftentimes, life throws things at us that we're just not expecting, right? And so many times in life, the high moments come, or immediately after the high moments, we run into a low. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but for me as a kid, I remember you know, I, I go to a friend's house and I had this wonderful weekend and, and it was probably more of a personal character issue or something, but I have the freedom of being at a friend's house and all of a sudden I get home and I have chores to do or homework to finish and, and I, you, know, you just can't help but get grumpy. You know? <laughs> and you, as much as you know you shouldn't be, you get grumpy, right? And, and, and you came down off of that high. Well, tonight I want to talk about a moment in, in, in Jesus' ministry and in the life of the disciples, when they sort of had one of those situations, and I feel like Jesus took advantage to teach a very important lesson. If you have your Bibles, I hope you all do, uh, let's turn to Mark chapter 9, and what arguably would be the high point I, in, the, in the experiences, if we're talking about just human experience and, and getting to see amazing things, the high point for Peter, James, and John, would have to be right here at the beginning of Mark chapter 9, the transfiguration. They're taken up onto this mountain, and they're shown about, I, I imagine, as much of the glory of Jesus as they could humanly experience in that moment. They, they didn't interpret things properly, and they, they, whatever, but either way, they, they enjoy this amazing moment on the mountain, and then they come on down, and we get to their post-mountaintop moment in verse 14, where something interesting happens. It says, and when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. So first things, all right, so we have this mountaintop moment, and next thing we come down to is just a bunch of bickering, right? Sounds about right. Does that level up with some of the experiences we've had in the room? have this great, wonderful mountaintop moment, like going off to camp or something as a kid or, or you know, the, your Bible camp or some other excursion, and then what? You get back, and sure enough, something's going to go wrong at school, something's going to go wrong at home, and you just, <clears throat> and so they come down off the mountain, and there's this discussion going on, and let's see what the discussion's about. Verse 15, and immediately when the entire crowd saw him, Jesus, they were amazed and began running up to him to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it dashes him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. And I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. So we have this strange situation where we've seen in previous, you know, throughout the ministry, 
that Jesus gave his disciples opportunity or a power from God to cast out evil spirits. But in this one, all of a sudden, something went wrong. Something went wrong. And even worse, the scribes were there to see it. <laughs> and so you have these scribes that are always bugging him, always nagging at him, always trying to, to discredit Jesus. And they're there to witness when they were not able to cast out this demon. They were not able to heal this young boy. And just from what I've read of others, I can only imagine the hard time these scribes might have been giving them, the discussions and the arguments they might have had. I don't know if they tried again and again to cast them out or if they tried once and, I don't know, it's just not working. You try. And, and, but they were, well, I think we've all been in that situation where you thought you were going to deliver and you didn't. You're embarrassed. You're ashamed. You're let down. You're questioning everything you thought you knew. The world is at your back, barking and telling you you know nothing and trying to set you straight. They had a tough situation. They had something hard to deal with. And then Jesus doesn't make it any easier when he, I believe, you know, he doesn't say that he's speaking directly to the disciples, but I, I think they're included. It's safe to say they're included within his statement when he declares, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. This, the, this boy had a terrible situation. He had a terrible ill. God had all the power to heal it. These disciples, for one reason or another, were unable to get it out. There's a dilemma going on as far as, I don't think, I think somewhat the reputation of the disciples they might have felt was on the line, but even greater so, the reputation of Jesus would be on the line because it was in Jesus' name that they're trying to cast out demons. So there's a great worry going on, but for Jesus, it's not a problem, right? Jesus easily comes along, as we see here, and it says, when they brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion, and falling to the ground, he began rolling about and foaming at the mouth, and he asked the father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, and it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can... All things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and began saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you deaf and mute spirit, or you deaf and dumb spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into the terrible convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them thought said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he got up. And when he had come into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this cannot come out, this, sorry, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. 
So we see an interesting situation in that they have, they're casting out demons as they have done so many times. And yet this one, Jesus says it can only come out by prayer. Now, I don't know if this was a demon different from other demons, if that's what's implied in this kind. And if, and if it was, I believe God put this one or limited their powers or whatever happened here, I believe God did on purpose. I believe they needed to have a dilemma moment, a faith-challenging moment after their mountaintop moment to teach them a little more about faith. We see time and time and time again as Jesus is ministering to the disciples, trying to get them to where they need to be in order to do the job they're going to need to do because he's not going to be with them forever, that they fall into these scenarios that show their moments of little faith. They show where their faith is lacking and it's needed. And at the same time, we see moments where others shine with a faith that Jesus praises. And so tonight, I want to take a quick look at those comparisons, at that little faith and that great faith. And how is it that we can prepare ourselves not just to have faith and be people of faith, but to do the works of God with faith in this world, to have that faith that God needs so much in his workers, in his kingdom. If we look at Matthew chapter 17, where this story is told as well, we see an interesting, Jesus describes the, the, the situation and the, the problem differently. Because on, in, in Mark, he says, well, this one only comes out by prayer. In Matthew 17, he rebukes them in verse 20. He sa- and he said to them, because of the littleness of your faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you shall say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it shall move, and nothing shall be impossible to you. But this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. So he repeats the prayer part, but he says because of the littleness of your faith. Now, we have a tendency to think of when it says littleness of faith, they, oh, well, their faith was just a small faith. It, 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 the, the, the size of their faith was little, and they needed a deeper faith, a bigger faith, a mountain faith. But here Jesus says you needed faith like a mustard seed. Well, the mustard seed's still small. It's, and he could just simply be implying that their faith is smaller than even a mustard seed. But the word small, the littleness, is oligopistos, right? It's the, the, the Greek, it, it means it's not size, but quantity. And if we look at the moments in which they failed in their faith, it seems to be more of an inconsistency or a limited circumstance application of their faith. I don't know if I explained that well, so I'll go over it again. Uh, <laughs> So let, let's take into consideration the times when he says, in, in, since we're in Matthew, let's look at Matthew chapter 8 real quick. Matthew chapter 8, verse 26. Or verse 23, we'll start. It says, And when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, and behold, there arose a great storm in the sea, so that the boat was covered with, <clears throat> so that the boat was covered with waves, 
But he himself was asleep, and they came to him and awoke him, saying, Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you timid, you men of little faith? So they have these moments where they've seen great miracles, but a storm arises, and they're thinking they're going to die when they've seen so many great things, and God has provided in so many great ways. And he says, you men of little faith. You've seen other scenarios. Did you think that God was powerless in this scenario? Were you not applying your faith in this scenario? In Matthew 14, when Peter walks on the water, he has faith. He steps on the faith. He had faith to believe that if Jesus gave him the command, he could put his foot on water and it would solidly allow him to walk. But something about the strength of the wind made him think that, oh, this isn't going to work. And the wind caused him, arose in him a doubt, a hole in his faith, a lacking in that moment, not seeing how God would work through this situation. In Matthew 16, when Jesus rebukes them for, you know, say, well, not rebukes, he warns them, sorry, I keep, he warns them about the leavening of the Pharisees, and they're all worried about earthly things, and they, they think, oh, he's getting on to us for not bringing bread. <laughs> and, but he rebukes them once again for the littleness of their faith, for not seeing the spiritual, for not seeing the power of God in all of these scenarios. So I suggest, based on these, my suggestion tonight is that he's not talking about the depth of their faith that needed to improve, but rather the consistency of it. The direction of their faith and the, con the continuity of their faith in every possible scenario. And if you think of that little mustard seed, what does it do? It's tiny, but it knows where it's going, and it does not stop till it gets there. Just a little bit of water, a little bit of sunshine, a little bit of air, and it's going to grow and keep growing and keep growing and keep growing, and it's not going to stop. It doesn't matter what... See the plants. <laughs> we are in a bit of a drought here, right? And so there are limitations to what plants can do, but plants, given what they need to survive, obstacles can come in the way. You can have a fence there, but if the tree's going to grow, what's it going to do? It's going to grow right over that fence. I had the, the privilege years ago when my wife and I were missionaries in China, we got to visit, um, oh, just drew a blank. We went to Cambodia and got to see Angkor Wat, where you have the, the giant temples. If you've ever seen the old Tomb Raider movie, the, 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 the temple that had the trees that were just consuming it, we got to go see that. And it was amazing to see what these trees would grow through and how they would overcome any obstacles in their way. I would suggest this is the faith that Jesus is talking about. A faith that does not allow obstacles to change your purpose, to change your direction, to change your growth. But rather, a faith that believes that the, he who gave me my existence, he who gave me my purpose, he who has all the power, will simply, if I just keep trusting, I keep working, he will find his way through it, over it, around it, under it, whatever. It will be done if it is the Lord's will. And so as we look at this faith, we see those who had that faith, and Jesus gives really interesting 
uh, conclusions to the lessons he gives about those who had such a faith. If we look in Luke chapter 18, real quick. Luke chapter 18, in verses 1 through 8, we get the story of the persistent widow. And the, the, the story of the persistent widow is an interesting one because she's going before a judge who doesn't fear God, he doesn't fear men, he doesn't care about anybody. Understandably, he's totally self-centered. And yet she continually goes back to this man who cares about nothing. Why? Why would she go back? Why would this widow continue to go back to a man who does not fear God, does not fear man, does not fear anything, totally self-centered, why even bother? She's a widow, she doesn't have money, she can't tempt him with any kind of earthly anything, and yet she continually goes back and requests justice. Why? Well, who else can give it to her? He's an unjust judge, but he is the only one. And so even being unjust, this persistent widow ceaselessly goes back and torments this judge until he finally declares, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about, oh, sorry, sorry, I jumped ahead too far. Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection, lest by continually coming, she wear me out. She's wearing me out, right? Well, to us, we would think, well, that, that's not what a man of God ought to do, right? I mean, we ought to have faith. We ask, and, you know, Paul asked three times, and then he quit, right? But what's Jesus' conclusion about this persistent widow? who would not give up, who insisted on just wearing down this judge until she finally got what only he could give to her because she had no other recourse and she insisted upon getting what she needed. Hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now shall not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night and will he delay long over them? I tell you that he will bring about justice for them speedily. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus equates this persistent, annoying, wearing you down kind of request. He equates that with a prayer life that shows faith. Jesus is asking, when I come back, will any of you guys still be praying like she request from this judge? Will any of us be praying persistently as this widow would, knowing that God is the only one who can grant us what we absolutely need? Can we stick to it? Another favorite, we won't read it, but Matthew chapter 15, go read it later, it's incredible, the, the Canaanite woman. I think I actually preached on that previously here maybe. But the Canaanite woman, once again, he, Jesus, it seems as though he's completely being rude and abusive to this woman. He won't, she's chasing behind him, requesting, please help my daughter, help my daughter, help my daughter, help, I'm begging you, help my daughter, and he ignores her. 
does not answer her. The disciples start to say, oh, just give her what she wants so she'll go away. And he says, I didn't come. I came for the, I came for the sheep of the house of Israel. Say, I didn't come for her. And she's, I guarantee she's an earshot. She heard it. And then she requests, and he's, he said, I can't give to the dogs what belongs to the children. Once again, he insults her. But she says, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the table. And he says, woman, he, he, she is one of the examples he gives of great faith. Someone who understood no matter what, I need what only God can give. And I don't care what obstacles come in between. I don't care how many times it seems as though it was said no. I don't care what. God is the only one who can. God is the one who will. And I am not going to stop asking. I'm not going to stop seeking him out until I get that which I so desperately need. A little faith, I believe, is, is the faith we so often know that is easy, and, and we love to praise God, enjoy those mountaintop moments when things are going pretty much as could be expected, and we can truly enjoy. A little faith is still a faith. And we truly enjoy God's presence and his people but then a hurdle comes. Something unexpected shakes up our world. Something we couldn't predict. An outcome that we, we feel was, was not what should have been. Illnesses within the family, losses of jobs, hurt and, and, and pain at school. I did the right thing and got the wrong outcome. No good deed goes unpunished. And all of a sudden, we're shaken. And all of a sudden, we think, could there be a God? Is he really out there? Does he even love me? We forget, oftentimes, that in Hebrews 12, believing that God is is not the end all of faith. It's believing that he is and he's a galardonador de los quienes le buscan. Uh, he's a, a rewarder of those who seek him, if I'm, if I'm translating it properly. <laughs> we have to believe that he wants to bless us. We have to believe that he is and will bless us. That is the faith. And so a true faith, a strong faith, the faith that we're working towards, because I believe all of us, even the disciples, continued with a relatively littleness of faith, but seeking out a big faith, the faith that no matter how much it seems as though God does not want to bless me, a Job-type faith, I would say, a Canaanite woman-type faith, that when Jesus turns, seemingly turns away because he wants to make an example of me, he wants my faith to be the example, but therefore has to test it so strong, but I keep going on. I will not let go. I insist, as, <laughs> as Jacob did, to get his name Israel. Bless me. Bless me. 
I will wrestle you all night long. Bless me. Because I know that no one else can. No one else has the words of life. We have those mountaintop moments, Christmas, Thanksgiving dinner, and then we have the dishes, right? <laughs> you have your graduation, and then you got to go find a job, right? We go on vacation, and we come home to bills. We go on a honeymoon, come home to a mother-in-law, just get marriage. Uh, <laughs> we have our mountaintop, sorry, that one got me too. <clears throat> uh, we have our mountaintop moments, and then we got to come back to reality. And reality is what's going to shake our faith. We need those mountaintop moments. We need this. We need to be at church. We need to be with our church family. We need retreats. We need special spiritual moments that give us those energies and remind us of the God that we're serving and his glory. But at the same time, we have to face reality when, when it confronts us in this life, when we can't escape that as much as we don't want bad things to happen, and I don't wish for anything bad to happen to anyone here, the reality we've seen in the last few years is that next year when I visit, some of you might not be here. Or some of that are healthy now might not be by next year. There's things that are going to happen in this world is it going to shake my faith, or am I going to hold even tighter to the only one who can give me relief, to the only one who provides salvation, to the only one who strengthens all? If we need, when we have to face reality, we can only do so on our knees. We can only do so through persistent prayer. We need to be, as that persistent widow was, on our knees day and night, awaiting for the return of our Lord, knowing that we are in his hands, and that he will provide all that is necessary. As we had read in Mark chapter 9, the man <laughs> asks Jesus, if you can help me, and Jesus goes, if, if, how can you say if? But he asks him, he, he, he declares, I believe, help my unbelief. And that's something I think we're all working towards together. If tonight there's anything that the members of this church can do for you, if you have an illness, if you have a weakness, if you have a worry, if you have a lack of faith, a lack of belief, a lack of understanding, whatever your need might be tonight, make it known. Bring it forward. Let us be on our knees together in prayer understanding and believing, not only that God is, but that he wants to reward us. He wants to bless us, and he will. I invite you all, uh, let, it, let your needs and requests be known as we stand and sing, and I'll invite David up.